Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right, welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Max Kaiser. We have a great show for you today. With us, we have Amir Engel, a lecturer in the German department at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He's here to talk to us about his new book, Gershom Sholem, an Intellectual Biography, published in 2017 by the University of Chicago Press. Amir, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Uh, so, to kick us off, our first question uh, uh, normally on New Books and Jewish Studies is, how did you come to write this book? Yes, you know, I've been thinking about this question um, since the book came out more rigorously. I think uh, it starts for me um, in the first year at for, when I started the first degree at the Hebrew University here in Jerusalem. I was... Um, introduced to two major subjects by two phenomenal teachers, professors. One was an introduction to Jewish thought, uh, taught by Professor Yosef Dan, and the other one was an introduction to German culture, taught by Professor Christoph Schmidt. And in a way, you know, life takes you in all kinds of strange turns and twists, and you don't quite know, but these are the two classes uh, all the way back at the beginning of my studies that kind of caught, me, caught my attention and made me feel that maybe knowledge is an opportunity. And I think these two classes are somehow deeply embedded in this book. Great. So the book is an intellectual biography of Gershom Sholem. Can you tell us about the dominant interpretations of the thought of Gershom Sholem over the past few decades, and how you situate your own study in relationship to um, this previous scholarship. Sure. So Gershom Sholem is an, is an interesting um, and very unusual um, uh, person because he's not, um, he's not a philosopher and he's not a literary, he's not, he didn't write literature or fiction. He, he was a scholar. And the question, how do you approach a scholar? And his scholarship is... Um, quite complex. It seems, however, that um, uh, people who were interested in Gershom Sholem, and there was a lot of literature, there is a lot of literature uh, about Gershom Sholem and about his work, uh, predominantly, were interested predominantly in two, in two main avenues of his, of his thinking. First was um, his Zionism. So Gershom Sholem was a, was a Zionist, and he um, Arrived to came immigrated to Israel to Daliyah to Palestine in 923, and it's very clear from his early work that he was interested in in Zionism and political and the political reestablishment of a Jewish state in in Jew, Jewish Commonwealth or a Jewish community. And a lot of people were interested in the relation between his Zionism and his. Um, work on the Jewish mysticism, uh, I think with the hope of finding uh, through Sholem some kind of a precursor or a model 
for Zionism in uh, in the Jewish secret lore. I think people found found that mm. immensely exciting and promising. The other option was to imagine a, a Sholem as kind of a harbinger of a new form of Jewish historiography, uh, a, a new history of uh, I'm sorry, philosophy of history that is uh, somehow uniquely Jewish and that is uh, derived or taken from uh, the Jewish secret lore. So the idea that maybe you could derive a philosophy of history from the Kabbalah, from Jewish mysticism, from ancient and obscure texts, I think was very compelling for scholars. And these are the two ways that uh, Sholem was of, often read, most importantly by David Beal, who... Um, wrote a very influential book in Jewish studies and in, um, and and especially in, in in this discussion of kind of uh, Jewish German uh, intellectual history of the 20th century called Yashem um, Sholem counter history Kabbalah and counter history and he made this argument that Sholem found somehow in the Kabbalah uh, ideas and concepts about how to read history in somehow a Jewish way in a subversive way um, and he made a very strong case for this and I think his interpretation was accepted and is still quite accepted uh, across the board to this day and you have a you have a slightly different, I have a slightly um, different take on some of the, the key the key the key questions that 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 he addressed that is correct I think um, I was I I was interested in Sholem because I thought um, very similarly uh, uh, um, Along very similar lines, I hope to find in Sholem some kind of Jewish, Jewish and Jewish German um, political theology that is uh, unique to Sholem. That is somehow combines his political aspirations and his interest in Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism. I thought uh, that would be very exciting. Um, the problem was um, that I didn't find it in a very concrete sense. So Sholem. Uh, writes a lot. He was an immensely productive scholar. He wrote thousands thousands of pages and hundreds of publications. He has hundreds of publications to his name, but there's uh, very little in terms of uh, a, a um, analytical discussion of concepts, of ideas, of um, um, principles, um, and generally, um, what we do have, that where Sholem kind of did try to work conceptually and try to analyze concepts and ideas and kind of work on a, on a, on a philosophical level, is very restricted. So it's very, very, very small amount of texts that is that are seriously dedicated to these questions, and they were written mostly when Sholem was quite young. And I was um, quite frustrated. It didn't work. I couldn't. I couldn't make all what I know about, all what I learned about um, uh, political theology and philosophy of history, quite work because it was never quite there in any explicit way. What I felt was that the uh, discussion, after being deeply frustrated, I must say, deeply frustrated, I, I felt that the discussion must uh, move to discuss Sholem's historiography. And um, I, I was interested in his historiography, which was, I think, I believe, Sholem's main preoccupation during his life, his long life and his very productive life. 
And I noticed that um, when I talked about Sholem to people and I discussed Sholem, what most people know was his autobiography from Berlin to Jerusalem. And I realized that, like I just told you when I answered your question about how I got started, that this kind of formula from Berlin to Jerusalem, there's something very attractive of it. It's, I think, Sholem's best-known work from Berlin to Jerusalem. And I was wondering if uh, these two uh, stories, really, Sholem's uh, story that he told about himself and Sholem, and the story that Sholem told through his historiography have some connection. And this is how I try to set up my work in this book. Okay. So, yeah, let's, let's um, dive into the book proper. Um, and in chapter two, you discuss the beginnings of um, Sholem's thought, uh, his discovery of Zionism, the impact of World War I, uh, and his um, famous friendship with uh, Walter Benjamin. T- tell us about all this. So um, the young Gershon Sholem was a, a, a radical, radical youth. It's, he's, it's a fascinating character uh, who wrote a lot of uh, things that are about a lot of topics, and for me, the uh, and he has and he and he wrote um, uh, both publications. Uh, he wrote anti-war propaganda and he wrote a diary. And uh, the question that I was interested in was how can we uh, make sense of this uh, huge amount of writing? Uh, how can we kind of uh, organize it and think about it in some kind of somehow fashion it together? And uh, what I realized that the the main concept that uh, that pervades Sholem's writing, regardless of uh, of the actual topic, was the question of exile. So Gershom Sholem was born in Berlin in 1897, and strangely enough, believed that he was born in exile. So he does not belong to where he where he was born, which is a, which is an odd feeling. I think most people wouldn't or find, would find very difficult to um, uh, to identify with himself uh, with it, unless, of course, they think about their adolescence where the classic thing is, of course, to uh, not to feel comfortable where you are. And Gershom Sholem vehemently disagrees with pretty much almost anybody he encounters. So he has uh, very strong disputes with the youth movements, uh, which were very much a a big thing at the time. Uh, He has uh, disputes with his parents. He has disputes with his older brother. he has disputes with good friends. Um, he's infatuated by uh, several people that are extremely influential, like Walter Benjamin, who you, who you mentioned, and also uh, at a certain point by his older brother, um, Werner Scholem, who was, a, who was at the starting point of a very successful and tragic career um, as a um, politician for the KPD, the Communist Party of Germany at the time, mm. uh, and he then broke away from these people uh, in a radical fashion. So he um, he um, was a, a young a young man <laughs> in a sense, as we all were or still are, and um, and he um, takes all these dilemmas and all these disputes and all these. Um, problems that he personally experienced and he puts them on a very large uh, kind of scheme that differentiates exile, where he was, and Zion, where he should be. And it's very clear that um, his notion of exile is deeply connected to his 
to the disappointments he had from close friends and, and from politics in general, and from the youth movement, from Martin Buber, and then from, later from his brother, and from Walter Benjamin at a certain point, from philosophy, from mathematics, and so on. And he tried to imagine Zion and, as some place where all these uh, um, yeah, uh, problems will be taken care of. Zion as a place where, where things will become right, finally, after uh, such a long uh, time living, growing up in exile. So Zionism was for him an, an ideology, ideology where he projected, that is what I try to argue, he projected uh, all his suffering and unease uh, onto arguing that's where, uh, that's where we have to go and this is how we have to do it such that all our problems and all our dilemmas and all our sufferings will be taken care of. And this is happens, um, all, this, all this argument and all this imagination and all this writing and learning, and he, Sholem was an incredibly astute reader. He read an enormous amount of books in almost any field you can imagine. Um, and he writes about them, comments, and he has something to say about almost everything. Um, Sholem, uh, this happens, Sholem grew up, as I said, he born in 1897, so he becomes an adult right at the beginning of the First World War, which is a very difficult or dangerous moment to, to become an adult. And Sholem, um, and, and eventually a lot of his, a lot of, uh, his um, arguments and polemic are centered around the questions of World War One and the question about whether Zionists in Germany should join the, um, the, the military and fight for the Kaiser against the French or against the Russians, and what is the role of Zionism in this war? And he disputed everybody else uh, vehemently opposing the war. So uh, during this period, we're talking about early World War One, so 19... 13, so before World War I, but in the few years, 914 and 915, Sholem is immensely busy with a polemic against uh, the participation of the Jewish youth movement, the Zionist youth movement in World War I, in the Kaiserwehr, in the military of the, of the uh, German Empire. So this, is, so this is what I try to discuss in the first chapter, or in the second chapter, rather. Is, is this is this polemic and his keen interest in the question of exile, Galut, and his imagination of this place called Zion, which is not a real place, it's a projection a, and a hope for a better future. Mm. Mm. So we'll get into a discussion of what actually happened once um, Sholem arrived in um, Zion in a second, but... Uh, it arrived in Zion, arrived in Palestine at the imagined, imagined Zion. Um, in, chap in chapter three, though, you discuss his early engagement with um, the Kabbalah um, and Kabbalistic thought. Can you tell sure. us a bit so about that. So what it? I realized once I finished writing the chapter or as I was writing the chapter on exile is that Sholem does write about exile quite a lot in his historiography, not only in his personal uh, um, what is called the, his, his, his bio, bio writing, not only in his letters and his diaries, he also discusses extensively the myth of exile, um, uh, which he um, which he finds in the writings of um, of the 
very, very influential um, and important Kabbalist of the 16th century by the, by the name of Isaac Luria, known as Hari. Uh, and um, I was amazed when I realized that actually much of what he imagines when he's reading, uh, uh, when he's writing and discussing and describing the Kabbalah of Isaac Luria is very much in line with what he imagined as a young man uh, arguing and fighting uh, with other members of the Jewish youth movement in Berlin. So basically, um, it's a little complex, but Sholem recounts the Kabbalistic uh, myth of, um, of Isaac Luria as a myth of exile. He argues this is a myth of exile. And he uh, stipulates that according to the myth, um, there is there's a certain story, a story of creation. Uh, I'll recount it very quickly. I hope it's not too uh, complex, but mm. basically the idea is that uh, in the beginning, um, uh, God or, or the heavenly uh, being poured light into vessels, and these vessels were supposed to help uh, storing, holding, differentiating the, the divine light. Uh, but these vessels break, and with this break, um, uh, most of the light re- retracts back, but some of it falls onto into the deepest part of creation. And and what is was what is drawn from this myth, according to Sholem, is that um, the Kabbalists um, believe that there is sparks of divine light hidden here on on Earth, so to speak, uh, on on in the land and. And humans, Jews, can retrieve this light, send it, free it, and send it back. These sparks, these tiny little sparks of light, they can retrieve it and send it back to their source by doing good deeds, basically by following the halacha. Uh, now, the interesting thing about this story is that um, Sholem believed and argued that um, Jews... Uh, in the 16th, 17th century, after the expulsion of Spain, made made a, a concrete ideological use of this myth. So they actually lived according to these to the notion. They actually tried, imagined themselves uh, freeing up sparks of divine light by following the Jewish halacha. Now, this is a, a little bit of a, a mental exercise, but if you imagine what Sholem describes in his historiography, if you imagine the kind of community that you would need that would seriously follow these concepts and ideas of the Orionic myth, what you will get is a community, a Gemeinschaft in the German sense, that is both completely devoted to the working of God and to the uh, idea that you can uh, free up uh, divine sparks and redeem the world. However, it's completely or almost completely free of hierarchy because you do not need to be someone in order to free or to spark light. So there's something subversive, almost anarchistic about the society that is created through this notion of tikkun. And what I suddenly realized is that uh, Sholem's idea about a, a, a anarchic Jewish society, which he imagined through this, this myth of uh, of Dari through this myth of exile, this Kabbalistic myth of exile, is actually very similar to what he propagated and what he believed in when he was arguing with the youth movement in 1914, 1915, 
he was arguing for the very same thing. He was thinking about the, the Gemeinschaft, the Jewish Gemeinschaft, which was Jewish but anarchic somehow. And I um, came to the conclusion uh, that Sholem reads into the uh, into the Luriani Kabbalah his own ideas of what redemption should mean and what what and these ideas were developed. He developed these very very same ideas as a young man in the youth movements. So uh, the first two chapters are devoted to the question of exile and returning home, so to speak. One, the first chapter in his own life, in Shona's life, and the second chapter in his reading of the Luriani Kabbalah. Mm. So you, you, you then get to... Um discussing Sholem's migration to Palestine and his engagement with Zionist politics there, um, where you suggest that he, he was disappointed by, by the reality of Zionism. Um, tell tell so us this about is, this. This is kind of quite, quite amazing, I think. So Sholem was talking and discussing and arguing over Zionism and the meaning of Zionism and the meaning of Zion. Um, as a young man, believing that everything that is wrong in Berlin and exile will be made straight in Zion, strongly believing it. And, and then he actually does the uh, the actual act, the actual Zionist act, the ultimate Zionist act, which is doing Aliyah, what it's called, right? Immigrating to Palestine. 1923, he uh, finishes, after he finishes his doc- doctorate uh, degree in the University of Munich, he um, uh, rejects a job offer in Berlin and leaves uh, his family and immigrates to Jerusalem. And after all this, uh, after imagining Zion for such a long time, there he is in, in the city of Zion, in the city that is called Zion, that is Jerusalem. And that is the point. Jerusalem and Zion are, he realized very quickly, are very different places. Jerusalem is an earthly place. And if you've ever visited the city, or if anybody has ever been here, um, knows very well it's not perfect. I mean, there's many wonderful things you could say about the city, but it's not perfect. And it doesn't live up in, at all to the imagination and the hopes and the desires of the young, enthusiastic ideologue, Gershom Scholem. And Scholem realizes very quickly, Palestine in 923, is uh, the, the, the Zionist the Zionist movement living in Palestine in 1923 called Hayeshuv, what is known as Hayeshuv. Hayeshuv is uh, nothing, nothing like Sholem imagined. It's not a community, and there's not a Gemeinschaft, and it's not free. It's not uh, it's not um, believing. On the contrary, this is a place where people uh, work very hard. Uh, sometimes uh, by land, by upland, sometimes um, um, in ways that are not entirely uh, honest, um, are trying to make all kinds of strange dealings with the British uh, in order to advance their political positioning. And this, for Scholem, was an anathema. I couldn't believe uh, that this is what Zionism should be. And he uh, puts himself right at the front of the discussion, and he uh, joins a small group of um, mostly German Jew- uh, Zionists of mostly German Jewish descent called Brit Shalom, in English Covenant of of Peace, trying to think about a different solution, a more peaceful solution to life in Palestine. And he writes in a very 
polemic way against the politics of the Yishuv, against the leadership of, of the Yishuv, against the way the relationship of the Yishuv with the Arab population, against the way um, um, against the provocations, what he what he think what he believes are provocations that the Yishuv is doing uh, to provoke the Arab population into an um, into a, um, um, a conflict, a, a violent conflict, which he believes will be the end and the worst worst possible outcome to uh, Zionism. This is not what he hoped for when he set sail and left to this place called Zion. So he's deeply, deeply, deeply uh, disappointed, and he writes about it in very, very strong and polemical terms. In the 19, we're talking about 1920s, uh, from his immigration until the early 1930s. So there's a period there where he's very, very active, writing very strenuously against uh, you know, polemically against the, the politics of the Yishuv at the time. So tell, tell us about um, uh, Chapter 5, where you deal with Sholem's uh, very influential work on Sabbateanism. Um, okay, yeah, so, about, so, about, so, so uh, what happens, writing, yeah. so Chapter 5 is, is kind of, for me, uh, made out of two parts, but the, the first part happens during the same year. So in 1920, H. Sholem starts writing for the first time, publishes for the first time, a, a big essay about Sabbatianism. Sabbatianism is, is the story of, of the messianic, messianic movement of, of Shabtai Tzvi, um, which, uh, which well, uh, evidently failed and uh, became kind of the hallmark of Sholem's work uh, till this day, I think. And um, the interesting thing is that... Um, that he writes about it in this in this very period, so 1928, to during his big polemics in the Yishuv, he writes about Sabbatianism, and his main argument is, at least in these years, is that uh, um, Sabbatianism is not about the story uh, of a Messiah, it's about what really happens once the Messiah converts to Islam. So Shabtai Tzvi was, was, um, was um, declared himself Messiah, and he, um, um, in the 17th century, and he, he discusses, and, he, and he, gets, he gets a huge following, this is the point, he gets a huge following until uh, the uh, Turkish authorities, he was mostly um, uh, active in, so he comes from Izmir, uh, and he's mostly active uh, within the borders of the Ottoman Empire, and when the Ottoman Empire authorities get, get word of this messiah, this Jewish king, they invite, they invite is a polite way, but they uh, order Subtai Tzvi to show up at the court in Istanbul and they threaten him uh, that if he won't convert, that is, show to the world that he's not anymore a Jewish king, then they will kill him, they will execute him. So he converts. And Sholem argues the story of uh, Sabbatianism starts with the conversion of the Messiah. And... And the interesting point about this for, for my for, for this project is to say that uh, according to Sholem, the story of Sabbatianism, very much like the story of Zionism, uh, or the personal story of Sholem with Zionism, is a story of um, great frustration and great disappointment. Right? There's a story about somebody who everybody hoped would be something and turns out to be something else. And what he studies is and uh, the, the way that people interpreted 
and kept on believing in the messianic uh, prowess of the Messiah, also after the Messiah converted. And this is very similar to the way he discussed Zionist politics of the time. So he argues um, uh, in his polemic against the Yishuv, okay, listen, we, uh, we, we thought Zionism is going to be this wondrous place, but it's not, and we have to do politics. We have to actually uh, work with our neighbors and with our uh, fellow citizens in order to create a commonwealth which would be just to everybody. It is not time for messianic beliefs, but a time for political action. And uh, he makes a very similar claim once reading, through reading uh, the Sabbatian story. He tells, he says, Sabbatianism is misinformed, is misguided, is wrong. Once people continue to hold to the belief in the Messiah after everything in the world has proven them wrong, namely the Messiah converted. So the realization, the deeper realization here is that um, a, his work on Sabbatianism is very much a product a, of his early years in, in Palestine and the basic, and the basic uh, uh, theme that holds these two stories together is that of disappointment, of uh, dreams coming true and realizing that they're not quite what the youth, he thought they were or were going to be. The title of chapter 6 is For the Love of Israel, the turn from the fringe to the mainstream of Zionist thinking. Tell us about this turn and, and Shalom's famous disagreements with uh, Hannah Arendt. And um, also if you could tell us about uh, sort of your conclusions about Gershom Shalom's life and interest. So uh, very briefly I would say... Um, the problem I was facing in the last chapter was this: How does how do we um, um, work out the fact that uh, Sholem is known to us not only as a critic? So uh, the early Sholem fought. So the young, very young Sholem fought with the youth movements in Berlin, and then he made Aliyah and had uh, a very strong polemics with the Yeshuv. But a lot of people know him, especially outside of Israel, as a representative, maybe the most famous representative of Jewish-Israeli academia in the world, and he was very, spoke over, always very highly of Israel and very carefully and represented the mainstream of kind of Zionism, Zionist thought, namely Israel is a, is a safe haven for the Jews, Israel always wanted to make peace with the Arabs, Israel is an important asset for Jewish history, and these are positions which are very much mainstream Israeli. Uh, you can argue about them or not, but the point is uh, very unusual for a person like Sholem. That's, that's the point. Uh, Sholem was extremely uh, critical. So how is it that he turned so mainstream? Uh, this, is, this is the question of the last chapter. And it, it is a little difficult uh, because Sholem never answers this question in writing. So Sholem was very polemical and very, very clear in his writing. But never quite says, okay, I kind of give up uh, my Zionist dreams. Okay, I kind of realize that uh, Israel is a safe haven for Jews. He never quite says it. He kind of retreats uh, from the political sphere. He kind of leaves it for other people. So one of those, the ways to see the transformation is through his debate with Hannah Arendt, which uh, is really very close to Sholem on a lot of levels. So she comes from the very similar place, a very similar background, very similar education, are deeply concerned about Jewish questions, uh, both of them, 
but take a decisive moment, a very different uh, uh, position. And this is mostly and very strongly, um, it is made very clear in the famous exchange between Scholem and Aret around the Eichmann trial. So as I'm sure you know, um, Hannah Arendt writes a very polemical book after the Eichmann trial called The Banality of Evil. And she makes many, many people very angry, also Gershom Scholem. Gershom Scholem writes her a letter, which is very famous, where he blames her that she has no Ahavat Israel, that is, the love of Israel. And this was, a, this was debated a lot by scholars. What does this exactly mean? Um, I think... Uh, what it means is, and I'm not, I'm not making some very controversial reading here, is basically that Sholem writes Arendt in the aftermath of the Holocaust, in the aftermath of the Eichmann trial, he, he tells her that he agrees, he agrees. The questions that Arendt raises in her famous polemical books are very important questions. The question of Jewish collaboration with the Nazis and with the the Jewish councils and the ghettos are are burning questions. This is no question. This is a problem uh, that we have to think about. However, Sholem writes, Arendt, it is impossible to um, write so polemically and so in in such an unempathic and ununderstanding uh, way you can only write so angrily if you don't have Ahavat Israel. If you, if you're somehow, if you're somehow um, um, lost the capacity to love your own people. And I take it to to say that after the Holocaust, uh, Sholem uh, believed that one must put the strong polemics aside and um, settle down on the pragmatics of Jewish existence and forget the great grand uh, dreams that he had uh, about community and, um, and anarchy and Jewish life and all this business is not any more relevant after, after what had happened in the Holocaust. Uh, and if somebody, if you do not understand that, he basically writes Hanan, if you don't understand that the Holocaust has changed everything, then you do not have Ahavat Israel, you do not have the love of Israel. And so I take this to kind of be a symbol of Sholem's transformation um, after the Holocaust. And what I try to do in this chapter is to make Sholem's case reasonable. So the Germans, in German you say nachvollziehbar, so something that you can, you can relate to, you, you don't, might not like or might want to criticize, but it makes sense that a, a gentleman that has seen so much has taken this route. This is what I try to argue. Great. Well, uh, I think we've taken up enough of your time, um, Amir, but it's um, a really um, fascinating uh, and important book, I think, that um, breaks a lot of um, new ground um, in terms of the imp- interpretations of Gershom Scholem's um, thought and life. Um, before we let you go... Uh, would you be able to tell of us course, about what I, you're working I, on? I'd just like to say that um, I think one, one of the things I strive in, in this book is to show uh, not only Gershom Scholem, but also the context and the place and time where he lived. I think it's, it's a book that tries to go, to go also beyond him. Um, this is just one point, last point I want to say in, in conclusion. 
I'm working. Uh, I'm currently working on a book project mm-hmm. about um, uh, uh, the history of the term Jewish mysticism, and uh, the premise of uh, the book is that Jewish mysticism is very much a product of the German of German culture. It um, um, is it is part of a German discourse. It comes from a German discourse about uh, um, mysticism, about community about art, about uh, avant-garde existence, and it is given a very specific Jewish um, character through several thinkers. Some of them are very well known, like Yashem Sholem and Martin Buber, but some of them are less known and were active in the 1910s and 20s in Germany and were very much uh, deeply embedded in this discussion about mysticism in general. So this is what I'm I'm working now. Fantastic. What? Well, we definitely hope to um, have you back um, on New Books in Jewish Studies again um, to talk about uh, the, that project. So thanks again, Amir. Um, and you've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies with your host, Max Kaiser. And with us today, we had Amir Engel, a lecturer in the German department at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And he talked to us about his new book, Gershom Shalom, an Intellectual Biography, published in 2017 by the University of Chicago Press. Thanks for listening.